Hey, what up, everybody? Welcome to the Billy Rickman Show podcast. This is episode number 129. Being in business over the past few years has become increasingly demanding. As a business owner, it's getting harder to know what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. The constant changes and updates in business can make you feel overwhelmed. So the question is, how do you stay ahead of the game, stay motivated, and create a business that doesn't just keep the doors open, but achieves serious profit? This podcast will answer that question. I'm Billy Rickman, and this is Success Sessions. everybody happy Saturday it is Saturday morning and today's podcast is going to be a little bit different for you um, around about 18 months ago um, I did an episode uh, a podcast interview with uh, Forest FM uh, spelled P-H-O-R-E-S-T FM they're one of the leading point-of-sale software companies in the world for our industry and they invited me on the show to talk to them about um, the way and the direction that salon owners are, are moving towards and uh, it's now 18 months on, and I still I, I re-listen to this podcast, and I still believe every single thing that I mentioned in the podcast. I still believe it to be true, and I still think that there's a massive shift in the way that salon owners are thinking, um, and the ones that are succeeding are having a more of an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial mindset versus an operational mindset, which is the one of the technicians who are working in the business. Um, I go through the explanations of this. It is quite long, so what I've done is actually broken it up into two different episodes, so today will be part one. And uh, then tomorrow we'll rejoin it for part two. So tune in. This is my interview I did with Forest FM in July of 2019. Welcome to the Forest FM podcast, episode 126. I'm Killian Vina. And I'm Zoe Bilal Springer. This week on the show, we're joined by Billy Rickman, coach and founder of the Salon Growth Conference, to discuss the mindset and business methodology of salonpreneurs and how it can best prepare you for the future. So grab yourself a cup of coffee, sit back, relax, and join us weekly for all your salon's business and marketing needs. Good morning, Zoe. Good morning, Killian. So at the Salon Owner Summit this past January, someone recommended I read the book Mindset, The New Psychology of Success. It's uh, written by Carol S. Dweck. It was written in 2007. I like it's funny because in the last two weeks from listening to different podcasts and stuff like that, I keep hearing this book recommendation, but also our executive in the education department has this book <laughs> currently sitting on her table. <laughs> well, maybe she should pass it on to me after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah no, seriously, like since since then, um, many of my conversations with industry people, like I've been hearing the, the word mindset thrown around like almost as often as we used to hear the word hustle. Um, <laughs> now, obviously, it's kind of like, a good thing because mindset I think can actually change quite a bit uh, of things but we already know this right so yeah I'm just really curious about this episode because this is all going to be essentially about mindsets. Yeah, well, it's the it's the mindset of the new age salon and like mindset is we've three values here at Forest. We've service gahintok, 
can-do attitude and growth mindset. And that is the biggest one that we... Well, other than service gehin talk, which in Irish means excellent service, uh, providing excellent service. But yeah, the growth mindset is probably the one that we play a lot of focus on internally. And I had um, a meeting with my team lead only this week. And again, it came up about growth mindset and developing that and kind of basically what can you use around you to help you grow, but also help the people around you grow. So I suppose there's no better person to talk about this, the mindset of the new age salonpreneur than Billy Rickman. Welcome to the show, Billy. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. So Billy, um, today's episode, as we've already mentioned, and we'll probably say it a few times, the mindset of the, the salonpreneur or the new the new age salonpreneur, it comes from a recent ebook that you released, which I actually really recommend everyone read. Uh, as I was going through it, I thought it was great. Went through it just there a few weeks ago, which is kind of where we decided, you know what, actually, let's let's get Billy on to talk about this. Um, but you, it, it's kind of interesting because at the start of that ebook, your mindset wasn't always um, focused on the salon industry, was it? No. Like you had a whole different approach to life like 12 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I left school uh, not knowing what I wanted to do and everyone said, oh, you should probably go to university. And so I went to university and I was doing um, tourism management, which I still don't know to this day what, what that was about. I lasted about six months and a couple of my friends said, hey, why don't we join the Navy? And uh, so I honestly was just a bit lost at that stage. I was 18 and uh, thought, why not? Let's just go to join the Navy. The four of us went down to recruitment. Um, three of us didn't end up signing up, so those three didn't, and uh, and I did, and I ended up um, joining the navy and spent <laughs> eight years in the Royal Australian Navy. So you literally got drafted into the navy. <laughs> yeah, everybody else thought it was a good idea, but nobody else did it, and uh, I literally got drafted by my friends, not even by the government, by my friends into the navy. Yeah, yeah. I think they wanted to get rid of me. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you come into the salon industry? I know you talk about this in your ebook, but I think it's such a good story that we should definitely talk about this on the show today. Yeah, I, I was talking actually to somebody the other day about um, entrepreneurship and about how I didn't really know that I was I had an entrepreneurial mindset until I got into business. Because one of the things I used to get in trouble for in the Navy is, um, you know, the, the Australian Navy is comes from the English Navy or the British Navy. And so it's steeped in hundreds of years of tradition. Mm-hmm. And so everything they do is always got a reason for doing it because that's just what they used to do. And every time, I, you know, I would see them doing activities or exercises where it would take 10 men and take an hour. And I would just casually say to my superiors, like, you know, you could probably do this with two people in 15 minutes if you did it this way. And I used to get in trouble for it all the time. It was like, you just don't question it, right? It's like, this is the way we've always done it. This is how you do it. But as an entrepreneur, I think you're always looking for innovative ways and ways to make things better and easier. I think that's what pushes entrepreneurs along. Like it's, it's that constant drive to, to want to to want to make things better for, for society or whatever you're trying to create. But I never quite understood that when I was there. I just thought I was maybe like, you know, a bit naughty. But um, <laughs> so I, I did this for eight years and then I was, um, when, I, when I went away to Iraq a couple of times and I'd saved up some money, we got paid uh, what they call danger money, which looks really cool on your pay slip. It actually says danger money. And uh, so we got paid all these, these benefits and tax allowances and that. And I, so I saved up a bit of money. And when I came back, I bought some properties, some houses. And um, I was with a girl at the time and she was also in the Navy and due to get out of the Navy. And she said, um, I said, what are we going to do? And she said, well, I saw this beauty salon I'd like to buy. And I was like, okay, what is it? And she said, it's a franchise and I think it'd be really interesting. And I said, okay, cool. Let's, let's have a look. And I was so naive to it. I was just caught up in my military career and I was going away all the time. And, and I trusted her. I loved her. So uh, I said, okay, cool. Let's, let's do it. And I bought it for her. 
And then I got deployed again to Iraq for the second time. And when I came back, um, I sort of said to her, how's the business going? And she said, oh, it's, it's going really well. And I had a look in the bank and there was no money in the bank. And um, I didn't really understand business at the time. And so I started asking questions of some people. And it turns out that she was using all the money to, um, to have a pretty cool party lifestyle with her and her friends. She would fly her friends all over Australia and get some penthouses and, uh, you know, have a pretty luxurious lifestyle on, on the business's expense. But it wasn't just that the business was paying for it. It was also accruing debt. So she also wasn't paying creditors. She wasn't paying the expenses of the business. So um, when I came back, I, I found this out and I said to her, look, we're going to have to have to separate. And um, I said, what are you going to do with the business? She said, I don't care. It's in your name and your properties are attached to it. So you figure it out. Wow. So uh, <laughs> it was super nice. And really good part of my life. Um, and so uh, I had to leave the Navy. Normally it takes 12 months to have a military discharge, but um, you can put in like an emergency discharge. So I got out in three months. And I went into the, the beauty industry and uh, my first day in the beauty salon, I was just, I remember just so clearly just sitting there going, what the hell am I doing? And like <laughs> women were coming in and asking about wax and stuff and I was just standing at the front counter and it was like, it's so awkward, you know. And, um, but one of the, I, I found that, and then the, we went through this whole separation thing and the, the way, because we were de facto, she ended up getting the houses and I ended up getting the business and the business wasn't good. So I was kind of in a, in a situation where it's like single swim. You either figure this out and make it work or you're just going to lose everything you've worked for for eight years. And so I got a business coach and um, he was a specialist in systemizing businesses. And uh, I found out through him that I wasn't just naughty in the Navy and, and questioning things. I found out that I, I actually really enjoy business and I actually enjoy creating new things. And, um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how my whole journey started. And in 12 months, I managed to rebalance the, the business and uh, sold it and then uh, started my own franchise. And that was it. Sounds like one hell of a 12 yeah. months. Um, <laughs> I have to ask, what, what was more stressful? doing a few tours in Iraq or that 12-month period of running the salon? Um, the, the salon, yeah. <laughs> not, even, not even the 12 months. I, I often talk about this story because in the, in the Navy, it's, it's predominantly male. It's probably 90% male, 10% female. And then so when I, I remember the story so clear, and as I rise, got through the ranks in the Navy, I, um, I ended up <clears throat> like, you know, you could tell people what to do, who were your subordinates. And so I would be in charge of like cleaning or what have you and say to, to one of the, the sailors, hey, can you go and empty the bin? And away they go and empty the bin. But when I was in the salon and it was predominantly females, um, I remember it was like I would ask one of the females to empty the bin and then one of the other females in the salon came up to me and said, are you, are you angry at, at, I forget her name, Sarah or something? I was like, what do you mean? She's like, oh, because you went asked her to empty the bin, like, she wants to know, did she do something wrong? Are you annoyed at her? <laughs> and it was just such a flip to what I was used to because I was used to being around all the males and now I'm around all females. And I really had to adapt. And I think that was the hardest thing in the first 12 months is just males and females are different. And I was just trying to understand how to manage myself in a totally different environment. That alone is a serious mind shift, just like dealing with different genders. <laughs> yeah, but it served me so well <laughs> in my married life. <laughs> it was totally different. Honestly, I, I felt like... Um, I just walked into another world, <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. And, and uh, it makes it sound like it was a really like terrible time, but it wasn't. I, I, it was during that, that I really discovered that I loved customer service. I loved helping people. I loved the challenge of business. Um, I loved the challenge of working with different people because I've just done the same thing for so long. And so uh, that first 12 months for me was, was the hardest, probably the hardest 12 months of my life, but also probably the most rewarding uh, 12 months of my life. Yeah. 
like you said, it's the sink or swim. So that's when you're going to learn. It's like when your dad throws you into the deep end of the pool without your armbands, <laughs> which also came up in conversation this week before as well already. <laughs> um, so, so look, Billy, since then, you've been really kind of focused on education and mentoring. I suppose as someone who didn't come from the salon industry by choice, more kind of like um, by accident. What makes your coaching style different to someone who made that decision to go into the salon industry? Yeah, so I actually, I started a franchise and ended up getting 12 locations um, in in about six years, seven years. Um, and it was through that process that um, I kind of learned a lot and mainly about what not to do. That was That was probably the biggest takeaway about what not to do in business. It was just, you know, you hear people talk about it all the time, but it's, it's, it's the experience of making mistakes. And um, from those mistakes, the last couple of years in the franchise system, it, it became hyper-competitive. And um, there was a lot of, um, whereas it used to be, you know, beauty salon owners or hair, or hair salon owners used to own the business. All of a sudden in Australia, there seemed to be a shift and it was corporate entities with <clears throat> venture capital backing or, finance, you know, private equity backing that were coming in and they were coming with $40, $50 million budgets and then just open 40 or 50 locations, you know, in, in 18 months. And so it all changed really, really quickly over here. And so one of the things we had to do, again, is the sink or swim. You go, well, what am I going to do? do? Do I just fold or do I find a different way? And so one of the things that we do in our coaching is we always, our mission of, of our coaching is we always want to be on the leading edge of technology and we always want to be on the leading edge of um, new ideas and new strategies. And I think I talk about this in a lot in the book that, the old strategies of just word of mouth, having a good quality service, word of mouth and repeat business is um, it's just, it's not, I mean, I can't say for, for Ireland or I can't say for different countries, but certainly over here, it's just not the case anymore because if you're not making noise, if you don't have the attention of your customers, then there will be a competitor who is making more noise and have more and get more attention and they will eventually take your clients. So never having that experience of being behind the chair, as they say, that's kind of benefited you because you got to just purely focus on the business side. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely 100% think that that's a huge advantage. And I think, um, you know, I don't want to tempt people when they come to my coaching or they talk to me about business or consulting, whatever we're doing. One of the first things I want to do is create a path about how they can get out from behind the chair or get out from, um, if there's a beauty, you know, beauty salon about getting out of the room because ultimately you have a certain business owner. If you compare business owner A and business owner B, if business owner A is working 40 hours behind the chair and they're serving clients all the time, they're cutting and styling and coloring. And then the only time they have to work on the business is between six o'clock in the morning and seven o'clock in the morning and then six 30 at night and seven 30 at night. If they, can't, if they aren't looking after their children, if they aren't managing the family, if they don't have, you know, their errands to run and their house to maintain, if they don't have all the social things they want to do as well, you know, that window gets smaller and smaller and smaller. If you compare that to somebody who has trained, mentored and developed a team that's in a salon that's doing all of the cutting, colouring, styling or doing all the beauty services and they're spending 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours doing nothing but solely focusing on building a brand, building a culture, training the team, doing good mentoring programs, putting career paths in place, looking at the marketing, you know, going to networking sessions and meeting new people in business, surrounding themselves with people in the industry in the area or, or from different industries in, in the area who are supporting the business. If they're doing that full time, then person A just has no chance at all of competing against person B. They just don't. I see it. We've got a couple of hundred salon clients um, that we work with and I see it all the time. And I can see the shift in the business and how the business fundamentally changes when they start to work on the business. 
So, like, you talk about the new age solopreneur in the ebook quite a bit. Um, what was the biggest disruptor for you? Was it like the whole technology aspect? Like, what made you coin this term? And then, second, what differentiates a salon owner as we know it and a new age salonpreneur? Is that kind of that shift, that business shift? I love the term salonpreneur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny when I was pointing it, some people just rolled their eyes at me and said, that's lame. And I was like, I'm just going to go with it anyway. <laughs> so uh, we're here with it. That's catchy. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, the difference is exactly what we just spoke about. The old salon owner, and not old in age, but old in strategy, uh, the old salon owner is still believes that the old model works. Um, with If I can cut a really good haircut, if I can do a really good skin treatment and those people go and tell somebody, then I can have a surviving and thriving business. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's hard for me to say internationally across the world, but certainly over here, it's just not the case. And so salonpreneurs are people who fundamentally see their business as a business first and they see the technical side of it second. And so people always say, oh, what, so you don't believe in training for, for the business? Yeah, I totally believe in training for the business, but let your team do the training. Hire a team of hairdressers, hire a team of beauty therapists or skin technicians or estheticians and get them, give them the training and the mentoring and put them on the development courses for the skin and the hair. But as a business owner, as a salonpreneur, you should be focusing all of your time firstly on the business and the business development. And then secondly, if you have time, then keep up to date with the technical side. And, um, you know, with technological advances now, it, it just, it's getting crazy. Some people are like, oh, there's a, there's a famous saying, I forget who said it, um, uh, it was it was this Steve Jobs or or maybe even Henry Ford said you know it said um, the horse and carriage just ain't coming back and it's true like as much as some people might like riding a horse and they wish that they could go back to riding horses down the street it's not coming back and in you know in ten years time like Uber at the moment are developing the new age Uber which is drones so a drone will come and pick you up and then you know take you away so in ten years time people are probably going oh I wish there was cars but unfortunately you don't have control over the way culture goes and the way that industry is going the way business is going in general is technology is speeding up it's not slowing down and so if you're sitting there now going oh i'm just getting the hang of facebook you're probably in a bit of trouble because now you know there's so many different things becoming available um one of the things that i didn't touch on in the book but one of the things i'm, I'm working on at the moment i'm speaking to a guy in germany we speak we with um collaborating at the moment and he specializes in artificial intelligence so at the moment, I talk about messenger bots. I don't know if you guys have touched on messenger bots before, um, but essentially for people who don't know what that. Yeah, yeah, recently enough. Yeah, awesome. So um, the ability is to be able to program uh, a bot to be able to talk on your behalf. The next step of that is artificial intelligence where the bot on either your Facebook or Instagram will learn over a month, two months, three months, exactly how I talk, what emojis I use, what GIFs I use, how I would respond, what jokes I would say. And so in three months' time, the client would have no distinguishing difference between whether or not they're talking to me or whether or not they're talking to the bot because they would be identical because the artificial intelligence side has been programmed and learned how to behave exactly like me. And so can you imagine that if I own a business and someone else owns a business, how much of an advantage it is for me because I can literally go away for four weeks on holiday. I could come and see you guys in Ireland and my, my bot would just take care of business. That'd be sweet. And no one would be the wise. <laughs> Well, the beauty of that is, like you said, it could take three months for that um, that AI or the chatbot to get to that level. But that means you you need to start now. So in three months, you've kind of built that time. You've gotten yourself ahead. Uh, you've already said if you're only getting to, to grips with Facebook now, you're way behind. So 
Um, it is a case of start now. We've heard about it. Just do it. Um, what else have you kind of seen as like the biggest disruptors then in that case? Yeah, definitely Messenger bots is is huge. And Facebook, have um, they just had their F8 Summit, which is, for people who don't know, is their main conference of the year. And Mark Zuckerberg came out um, at F8 and said, if I started Facebook again, I would have started with Messenger. And from internally, the reports are that Facebook is putting more money into Messenger than any other single department in Facebook. So there's a big shift towards Messenger. And the fact they bought WhatsApp um, means that, they, that Facebook are looking heavily or investing heavily into the, the you know direct messaging sort of features and functions and so sometimes you've just got to put the pieces together and go what are they doing and how is it working and i think you know so messenger marketing is going to be huge um i said before if you're just getting the hang of facebook you're in trouble i, I don't mean to panic anyone like don't stop now learning facebook and just throw your hands in the air and go i'm done i can't figure it out like still go on that path it's too late, it's good. <laughs> it's too late. Yeah, close the door no it, it, of course like keep going along that path and there's people who can help expedite that for you but um, at the same time, like so messenger marketing is, is going to be huge. It's going to continue to get big. They're making some big changes on July 31st, which is going to limit a few features. But just get on board with messenger marketing. Do a couple of short courses. Um, Instagram is developing really, really quickly as well. And some of the features on Instagram is getting really, really popular. Instagram stories and IGTV would be two of the biggest things I would definitely invest in. I mean, my story, for example, I can see now hashtags used to be big on Instagram. You could post on Instagram. And as long as you put a couple of good hashtags, you would get a fair reach out of it. Now you put a few hashtags and you can already see that, that Instagram are pulling back on hashtags and they're going to make you pay for those as a business. Um, but things like my Instagram stories, I will get 30, 40, 50% of my total following see my Instagram story, which is crazy. And because you've got those things like, you know, the gifts and the stickers and things like that, you can interact on stories and you can build that sort of personality with, with Instagram stories. So definitely for people listening on now, messenger marketing, Instagram stories, Instagram TV would definitely be three. I would look out for and definitely start to really focus my time and attention. And I guess the other thing as well is tr trying to develop yourself as a personality online. Um, I guess I, I talk about this in the book, but uh, I guess one of the examples I use is um, in the book is uh, with uh, Dr. Oz, right? I think everybody is familiar with Dr. Oz, the US doctor who's got his own TV show, partnered with Oprah for a while and, he, and became sort of famous that way. <laughs> And, you know, the, the jury's out. I'm not, I'm not a surgeon. I'm not a doctor. So I can't say whether or not Dr. Oz is the best doctor in the world. But I know that if you wanted to get a, um, a, you know, a clinical treatment by Dr. Oz, you would be paying through the teeth. Why is that? Well, because Dr. Oz has, has positioned himself as the expert, as the leader, as the industry, you know, as the person go, to go to in the industry, so that if he said something, if someone was charging $1,000, he could charge $10,000 because he's Dr. Oz. And when we, first, when we first started, when I first started in business, I always got told, like, never make yourself the center of the business because you'll never sell the business and all that sort of stuff. But people have been so beaten down by businesses these days. Like, they're just sick and tired of being overpromised and underdelivered. They're sick and tired of the lies. They're sick and tired of the discounts. They're sick and tired of, like, you promising one thing and delivering another. And so then it went to, we'll get some testimonials. But now people are aware that you can just rig the testimonials. You can get 10 of your friends to go online and give you a five-star Google review. Or you can go on Facebook. All your family giving you a review, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, with all the same surname. That's really weird. <laughs> but people are starting to see through that. And so what is it that people are really lacking in 2019? What is it, that's, what is it that people are really missing in their life? And the answer is connection. And... You know, we live in, a, in an era where we're, we're connected more to more devices and more platforms than any other time in human history, yet we feel more disconnected and disenfranchised with society than ever before in history. 
And so how do you bridge that gap? Well, you have to be vulnerable. You have to show that you are a human being. You have to show that you're not perfect. You have to show that you're, you know, you, you do things wrong. And so having a personal brand that people can actually connect to will allow people to want to do business with you more. And so Instagram stories is a good, um, is a good way of doing that. And I said to one of my um, junior marketing girls the other day, she's like, what's the difference between a business page and a Facebook group? Like, what do you put on your Facebook group and what do you put on your business page? And I said, your Facebook business page is like the final cut of a movie. So it's like if you're making Titanic, it's like you put Titanic on your Facebook page. Your Facebook group or your Instagram story, whichever one you want to look at, what platform, that's like your behind the scenes. It's your bloopers. It's your outtakes. It's the things you're not doing overly well, but they're still part of your business and it makes you who you are and it makes the business who you are. And by and large, we get more business from our Instagram stories and more business from our Facebook groups where we show our vulnerabilities and that we are human beings and not this perfect beast. We get more business from that by tenfold than we do the perfect presentation on our Facebook page. That's a really good way of putting it with the groups and the pages. Just like Facebook has said they want to build more communities, they're putting a heavy focus on building those groups and, and uh, communities. So yeah, it's definitely something that people should be looking into anyways, even just you know, just to help out other people with questions, you know? Yeah, I was listening to Gary Vee the other day and he said he was talking to a, um, a motor shop dealer and uh, he said, like, traditionally, uh, salespeople in, in motor car dealerships, if they're not, if there's no one on the lot, then they kind of just sit there and just browse Facebook or they do something in, the, in their office waiting for someone to come onto the parking lot. He said, now, like, they've got um, community managers who will sit on Twitter all day and just search for the hashtag broken down or search for the hashtag flat tire or search for these hashtags and then when someone comments on there, they're like, oh, stuck on the side of the road, flat tire, they jump in and go, hey, you know what? We've got a spare car at the dealership. Let me come pick you up and we'll organize a tow truck for you. And it's just like, the, there's, there's such a shift now. It's so smart. It's so smart, right? And you, pay, you go, of course. Why, why did I do that? It's, like, it's not obvious until someone says it. But I think it's definitely like you're talking about, like community shift is, is huge. And can you imagine what that person would be thinking when a business reaches out to them and says, yeah, I'll just come pick you up. You're stuck on the side of the road. Don't worry about it. I'll come pick you up for free. Yeah. You'd be so shocked though because you wouldn't expect that. Like no one's doing it. But there would sort of still be that part of you go, is this a setup? Is this a bit of a ruse? Like, Am I being unpunked? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Three hours later, you're still sitting on the side of the road. Going, I <laughs> <laughs> Want to keep up to date with all my videos, posts, and free content? Head to Facebook and like my page at facebook.com forward slash Billy Rickman Official. You can also find me on Instagram by searching the real B underscore Rickman.